Good morning, Central Church. It's great to be with you here in person and those online. Thank you for joining us as well. My name is Nathan Pruitt. I'm the outreach pastor here at Central. I've been here, this, is, this weekend is my three-year anniversary, so it's been great to uh, be here and serve with you guys over the, over the last three years. And as a present, Jeff said, why don't you do some extra work and preach for me this weekend? So <laughs> thanks so much, Jeff. Um, but my journey didn't start here in Sioux Falls. I'm actually from Texas uh, and grew up there. And when I was, when I was a little kid, uh, I, was, I was really sweet. And I know if you know me now, that's probably hard to imagine. But when I was little, uh, I, I, was, I was sweet and open and kind and also just short and fat and smelly and... Um, and people, I didn't understand people, but I really, really, really wanted to have like friends. And so I saw this, these groups of like cool kids and, and I would just kind of like follow them around like a sad puppy. Uh, and I'm sure that at my elementary school, there was probably some kids who would have been really kind to me and would have made really good friends. But for whatever reason, I, I didn't recognize those people. And so I kept trying to hang around this popular crowd and they treated me really poorly. Uh, I mean, they, they beat me up on a regular basis. There was a lot of verbal and emotional and physical abuse whenever I was, I was really young. And kind of like the Proverbs says, like a dog returns to his vomit, I just kept going back again and again for more punishment. And over the years of that, uh, I began to, to build walls, and I began to lose some of my sweetness and my vulnerability. I began to get, uh, my tongue got really sharp. And, and, uh, and, I, and I began to disengage from people because people weren't safe, right? People can hurt you really badly. And, you know, these childhood wounds, sometimes they stay with us and they manifest in really interesting ways as you grow up, especially if you don't deal with your stuff. And so when I was in high school, my dad used to say, he used to say, who's the flavor of the month this month? And because it seemed like every like month to six weeks or so, like I had, I had a new friend group. And it wasn't because friend groups were dropping me, it was because now I was dropping them. It was it was when, when people started to get real, when they wanted to start to know the real me, when things started to get messy, it's like, well, I'm, I don't, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in being vulnerable and really known, and so I would just leave those friends and go hang out with somebody else. You know, it's amazing uh, that, that I was able to meet uh, and marry my wife, Tiffany, and we've been together 18 years now because uh, besides my parents who were forced to kind of love me and spend time with me, that's by far the longest relationship that I have in my life. How this manifested itself in my, in my work life was, you know, I started working in ministry at the age of 17. And a lot of the churches that I worked at early on were very small. And when you're at a very small church, people want a lot of their pastor. They want you there in the emergency room with them. Uh, I had one lady uh, ask me to come and pray over her while she was in active labor. And I was just like looking at the ceiling the whole time like, why am I here right now? This is so weird. But you're there in their deaths and their joys and all those things. And, and when it's small, you get tensions and people have a lot of opinions and it gets really messy. And so I found myself about every three years moving on to another church. Uh, and I'm not announcing right now that I'm leaving Central because it's three years. I, I want to be here for a long time. I hope to be here for a long time. God is doing a work in me and I'm trying to grow as a person. But this is a part of my story that because of something that happened to me when I was young and some wounds that I gathered, I, I lost some vulnerability. 
I lost the ability to easily connect or to trust. Uh, And so we're in this sermon series in the Psalms today, uh, over the last several months, and it's called When. And I titled the sermon for today, When You're Naked and Ashamed. And that's not based off the television show, though I did try to get rights to show a clip. That didn't work. I thought maybe we'd do a staff version, but I was told that's inappropriate. So... (laughs) When you're naked and ashamed is based off Genesis chapter 3. Something happened to Adam and Eve, something happened to humans in Genesis chapter 3, and we lost the ability to be fully present in relationship. We lost the ability to be vulnerable and exposed before other people because sin changed us. And so let's turn there now before we go to the psalm to look at Genesis chapter 3. This is a familiar story. It's Adam and Eve in the garden. They've been told you can basically do anything you want except eat from this one tree. And then the serpent comes and starts whispering some lies uh, into Eve's ear. Some lies about herself, some lies about God, some lies about the nature of the world. And she believes those lies. And it leads to what we see today, starting in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the story just kind of spirals from there and gets worse and worse. You see, sin twisted something inside Adam and Eve, and shame welled up, and they begin to distance themselves from God and from each other. And pretty quickly on, instead of re-engaging with God, instead of confessing what they had done, they begin to blame each other and anything else but themselves. They were willing to point the finger everywhere but here. And something fundamentally changed about human nature because of that story. We became naked and ashamed. Let's turn now to Psalm 139, our psalm for today. Psalm 139, it's a psalm of David. Uh, I love David's psalms. David, for whatever reason, maybe it's because the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart, and maybe this is part of it, but David, who was king, and he's like a manly man, and he, you know, he slaughtered all the Philistines and did all the things, David has this really great ability, at least on paper, to just really expose himself, uh, expose his emotions. He cries, he gets angry, he's happy. He's the highest highs and the lowest lows. David's psalms are really beautiful. In Psalm 139, what I see David spelling out for us is, is his spiritual journey. David wasn't always in a good place with the Lord. Uh, and I think he shows us that today as we look at this psalm. Um, but God was always around and he gets to a good place. And so we'll see, we'll see a progression and a journey as we venture forth. And one thing that I want you to do today as we read Psalm 139 is think about, 
if this is not just David's spiritual journey, but maybe it's indicative of all of our spiritual journeys, where are you today along the path? Psalm 139, we're going to break it up into chunks. I'll start with verses 1 through 7. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before me and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? The first part of this psalm teaches us something about God. God searches us. God searches us. And in English, it might seem like mostly this is a really positive thing. But when you look at the Hebrew, it's a little more at question whether this is always a good thing in David's eyes or not. God, when I lay down, you're there. And when I wake up, you're also there. You happen to know all my thoughts. You know the words I'm going to say before I even say them. You hem me in. You get this sense that the psalmist is getting a little claustrophobic as he thinks about how deeply and how intimately God knows him. And so he says, where can I flee? His desire, when he knows that God is ever-present and sees him, is to run from that presence. I think there's a lot of reasons that we run. Sometimes we run because we feel guilty. We've done something and we know it was wrong or we didn't do something that we knew we should have and we're not willing to really work on it. We're not willing to change and so we run away. We run away from our problems. The problem with running away from your problems is everywhere you go, you are still there. And so if you're not willing to deal with your stuff, your stuff will follow. Sometimes we run because we have this innate sense of privacy. Maybe you've put up your walls, maybe you're an introvert or whatever, but when it feels like someone is seeing too much of you, 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 you curl in on yourself and you're like, I don't like to be this seen. And so you flee because you're worried someone might really know you. And sometimes we run because we're embarrassed. We think that if people really knew us, if God really knew me, if he really knew my thoughts, if he really knew the things that I want to say before I say them, God wouldn't like me very much. They wouldn't want to be around me if they really knew me. And so we try to run. But what the psalmist finds is, at least when you try to run from God, it's kind of, it's kind of a pointless endeavor. So let's look at verses 8 through 12. If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell to the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. 
And so God searches us and our, our inclination from that searching, because it feels so intense sometimes, is to try to flee. But then what the psalmist realizes is that God pursues us. And so we try to run, and yet then all of a sudden, I run up to the highest heights, and God is there, and I go to the deepest depths, and God is there. I even try to hide myself in the deepest, darkest abyss, and even in the darkness, God exposes me, and he sees me, and he is there. I can't get away. And it kind of feels like in the psalm at this point, David kind of sits down. I imagine him sitting in whatever cave he was trying to hide from somebody from, and he starts to think, you know, God knows everything about me. And I tried to run from him, and when I tried to run from him, he's everywhere. And I can't hide from him because he sees everything. And instead of despairing, what we see the psalmist do, we see David do, is he kind of turns a corner. And he realizes that, like, this great big God of the universe, he doesn't just love creation in general. He is searching and pursuing David particularly. That God searches after each and every one of us individually. That he pursues us. That he knows us. And the psalmist begins to meditate on what that might mean. Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The psalmist begins to realize that the God of the universe, that that God, he invests in us. It's not some distant, like, he didn't just spin off creation and kind of back up. That God is intimately involved in every single detail of who you are. And so you might have believed some lies and you might not like some parts of yourself, but God says, I knit that together. God says, I planned out those days. God says, I see you and I know you and I'm still coming after you. No matter if you like it or not. And to David, as he begins to realize this, as he begins to understand who God really is and that God really does see him, as he begins to shed away some of the lies and some of his guilt and fear and other things that are going on in his head, David can't help but worship. Verse 17, 18 says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. You see, when we come to know God better, when we spend our weeks in prayer and study and contemplation, when we take the time to really think about who God is and who he is to us and who we are to him, we, it should make us want to come to this place on Sunday morning and cry out to God, holy, 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 Jesus, Jesus, you are great and mighty. It should make us be excited 
when we say, I wake up in the morning and God is with me. No more running, no more hiding. I am here. Worship is the natural extension of getting to know God better. Because when we know who God is, we realize that he is so much more than we have ever imagined. And he cares about us. He sees us. He pursues us. And he invests in us. And then something kind of weird happens in verses 19 through 22. I was kind of tempted as, as I was thinking about this as a spiritual journey and kind of thinking about how to share the psalm. I was tempted to maybe just skip this part. Sometimes preachers do that. Like we're like, oh, that one's too hard. I don't want to explain it. I'm just going to pretend like it's not there. And I was just going to hope that none of you had opened your Bibles and we would just look on the screen to the next verses. But uh, Mason, who's actually one of my residents, he came to my office and we were talking about the sermon and Mason said, you should preach the hard stuff. He goes, it's part of the journey. And I was like, what do you mean it's part of the journey? These verses seem way out of left field. Uh, and so we kind of talked about it a little bit, and I ended up having to say I was wrong, and he was right, which I'm sure I'll never live down. So let's look at verses 19 through 22, and maybe it'll make a little more sense to you why I thought it was out of left field. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O God? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. You've got like this beautiful picture of who God is and he's pursuing us and this and that. And then David's like, I hate these people with complete hatred. Let's kill them all. Does that sound like fun? I had a girl once uh, I knew back in high school and she one time told me, I hate you with the hate of 10,000 sons. And this seems very similar to this vibe that David's got going on right now. I was not always a nice person. I'm a teddy bear compared to what I used to be. So anyways, you've got this, like, David's just angry. And I wanted to say, like, how is that part of the journey? But when you consider sin, and when you consider who God is, it's a part of it. As I get to know God better, as I get to realize what God's plan for his creation is, as I see how sin and evil has twisted that, and I look out in the world, I can point at things and be like, that's, that's wrong. Or those people over there, they're actively working against God's will in the world. And it can make me mad. I've been really mad over the last month. There was a guy who hopped in his car and he drove several hours to go to a predominantly African-American neighborhood to shoot a bunch of people because he thought of them as less than human. He thought he was better than them and they deserved to die. That's evil, that's wrong, and it makes me angry. I'm from Texas, I've been to Uvalde. There was a guy who shot his grandma and then he drove over to a school for some reason and killed a bunch of kids. It's senseless and it should make you mad. Sin has broken things and it's twisted things and it makes me angry. I see corporations trampling on the poor and polluting and it makes me mad. I see people not loving their neighbor well, and it makes me mad. And I think the best way to fix it is to make a few more posts on Facebook. Everyone agree? <laughs> it should make you mad. That's part of the spiritual journey. As we get to love God more and understand the things of God, the things out there in the world should make us angry. But... You can't live there. That's not where the psalm ends. And that's what I love about David. He's pointing the finger 
And then he comes to another point of realization. Verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. At some point, David stopped pointing the finger out there and realized that the end of this spiritual journey, at some point, i got to turn the finger here. Because those things that make me so angry in the world, those things, the evil things that I see people doing, if I'm honest, some version of that resides in my heart and my head as well. Search me, O God, and know me. Let me know if there's any offensive way within me, God. What I love about this psalm is that God didn't change from the beginning of the psalm to the end of it. God searches and he pursues and he invests. What we see change here is David. David realizes that he can't run from God. He can't hide from God. He realizes how good God is and how much God cares for him. He realizes that it's beyond just pointing the finger out there and being angry about all of that, but also saying, okay, God, What's the good heart work that I need to do? David moves from being naked and ashamed to naked and unashamed before God, to being completely vulnerable. God, let's do it. I'm here for the long haul. There's actually a really great picture of this same kind of spiritual journey or very similar in the New Testament. There's a guy named Peter Peter was a disciple of Jesus, and he was a bit of a knucklehead, and he often put his foot in his mouth, uh, and I feel like he's my spiritual brother, like I have a lot uh, kindred with, with Peter. And as Peter journeys with Jesus, he slowly becomes to learn more about who God is and what God wants in this world. And towards the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus asked his disciples one day, he said, who do people say that I am? And in a moment of worship, in a moment of divine revelation, Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Like he just cries it out in worship. And Jesus says, bingo. He says, now, Peter, you weren't smart enough to figure that out on your own. So don't get too, you know, big headed. But he says, that's exactly it. That's who I am. And like Peter's like on this mountaintop. And then a couple weeks later, they're in a garden. A lot of Bible stories happen in a garden. They're in a garden, Jesus and Peter and some of the disciples, and some evil men come to arrest Jesus. They come with torches and clubs and evil intent. They're going to beat Jesus. They're going to even murder him. And this anger riles up inside of Peter. He's like, "Uh uh-uh, how dare you? And he pulls out his sword and he lops off this guy's ear. Peter was not a trained swordsman. Like, the ear? How did you even, like, manage that without taking the shoulder or any other part of him? Like, I don't know how it works, but... Lops off the guy's ear because he's angry. He can't believe it that they've come to do this to Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus immediately turns to Peter and is like, what do you think you're doing? Put that sword away. And he walks over to the man who's there to arrest him, to beat him, to kill him. And he performs a miracle. He heals him. And Jesus gets arrested and he's being taken to where the trial is going to be. And the story tells us that Peter followed at a distance. And it doesn't say this, but I imagine this. I imagine the whole time that Peter is following at a distance that he's mumbling to himself. Like, I could have taken him, Jesus. Like, I can't believe you didn't let me get these guys. Like, how did you, you performed a miracle on that guy? Like, how, Jesus, what are you thinking? Like, 
I imagine he's just arguing the whole time, seething mad. And then he gets to the place where the trial is, and he's kind of hanging out in the outer courts. And this girl walks up to him and says, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? Not me. I've never heard of Jesus. Not me. I don't know Jesus. Denies him three times. He had been so anxious to point the finger at everybody else when there was still some real work that he needed to do. And in that moment, I think he realized that he needed to point the finger back at himself because it says he runs off into the darkness and weeps. But the great thing about our Savior is is that Jesus doesn't leave him there. That's not where Peter's story ends. After the resurrection, Jesus makes a point of it to show back up to where Peter is. Peter's kind of gone back to his old life of fishing and Jesus goes up to him and Peter comes up onto the beach and he can't believe that he's seeing Jesus. He falls down on his knees and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Asked him three times for the three times that he denied him. Redeemed Peter in that moment and gave Peter a mission that wasn't about anger and pointing fingers, but it was about do the work you need to do so that you can go out and serve the way you need to see, serve to bring about my kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I want us to go back to the garden in our minds this morning. God asked some questions of Adam and Eve. And I think the worst thing that happened in the garden that day was not them eating the apple. Like, yes, that was wrong and they shouldn't have done it and it it fundamentally changed things. I think the worst thing that happened was when God showed up and he's like, hey guys, it's our like cool of the garden day hike time. Like, where are you at? And they're hidden. And he says, where are you? And they say, we were naked and ashamed, and they begin the shame and the blame game. And God showed up to reconnect with them relationally, and they pulled back. They put up the walls. That's the worst thing that happened there. Because all God wants for us is for us to say, search me and know me and let me know if there's any offensive thing within me. Let's keep going on this journey. You're going to mess up. Like, it's, it's just going to happen. But we don't give up. And I I pursue you, I search you, I know you, I invest in you. That's what God wanted to do for Adam and Eve that day, and they just couldn't receive it. And so today, I want us to look at these three questions and try to reframe them in our mind. I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey, uh, but God is asking, where are you? Where are you at? As you search your heart, as you think today, have you been running? Have you been trying to hide Have you been in the darkness? Have you been pointing fingers at other people when maybe there's some good heart work that you need to do? Where are you? Who told you? Who told you the lies that you've been believing about yourself and God? Who have you been listening to? Are you listening to God and his word? Are you listening to the people of God? Are you listening to all that other junk out there? Who told you? And what are you hungry for? Are you just a part of the rat race? Are you just chasing after whatever the shiniest new thing is out there? Are you hungry for the things of this world or do you ache with hunger for the things of God? Do you ache to be closer to God, to be known more by him, to be laid bare before him? Paul's gonna sing a song over us. I want you to stay seated uh, and spend some time just thinking about where are you? Who told you and what are you hungry for?
Search me and know me, God. When my heart is strayed and I looked away, your eyes have stayed on me. When I run and hide in the darkest night. Your love runs after me Oh, you have been so faithful Patient, kind and graceful Waiting all this time to hear me say Oh, you can have my heart have my everything oh Jesus take this life and make it what it needs to be oh when I look to you but don't know what to do you say sit at your feet oh cause where healing starts is in a yielded heart and so i lift my hands and sing that you can have my heart right here now have my everything oh Jesus take this life oh and make it what it needs to be God you can have my heart you sing that together you can have you can have my everything oh jesus take this life make it what oh make it what it needs to be God, where are we going together? Amen. Also, want to say, if anyone asks you what you learned this weekend, say, I learned I need to be naked and less ashamed. <laughs> see, what they, see what kind of spiritual conversations you might be able to strike up with your oikos based on that one. Uh, if you need prayer this morning, uh, we're going to have frontline people down here front where you can get some prayer or have somebody to talk with. This is a benevolence offering weekend, and so our ushers will be in the back with the buckets for that. I want to thank you so much for the generosity you've leaned into with benevolence over the last year. We've been able to distribute $320,000 to individuals in need. Uh, it's tough out there for some people financially, and Central Church 
has been able to make a real difference. Don't forget to go to the student central tables and get a card to be praying for them. Also, a couple of our legacy partners are out in the concourse. Those are people who are out serving on behalf of Central Church out around the world. So ask them what they've been up to. Go in peace.